that have known because this morning Bevan walked in with a microwave oven. In case you didn't know, we've got a microwave oven today donated by uh, Retrovision in Lismore. So if you're walking past Retrovision in Lismore, pop your head in and just say, I just want to let you know I was up at a rise on the weekend and uh, your, t- your timing was perfect because the idiot control of the power switch didn't flick it. And so we were able to go to the microwave and actually have hot coffee. So... Uh, Praise God for microwaves and retrovision people. All good. <laughs> if you've got a Bible there, I want to go back to where I started last week, Acts chapter 17. And I want to stay a little bit on a different theme, but bounce off the same story. And the story, Acts chapter 17, verse 16 and 17. It says, now while Paul waited for him at Athens, he was waiting in Athens. He'd been preaching the gospel in another city. He got run out of town. Some people were following him from town to town. They were upset with this message of the grace of God. Uh, Particularly people, there were a lot of people that lost out financially because of this message of grace. You can imagine being in a culture where people are building uh, images and basically works of art that are not just works of art in a gallery. They've got connections to them being the source of life. They're God's. So Paul comes along and and the message of the cross is simple, that God doesn't dwell in buildings or sticks or stones. He dwells in us. God lives in us. And so you can imagine to a culture or to a person who makes their living creating idols or images of false gods, when people start believing that and they don't want to buy your artworks anymore, the economy goes down. So the gospel tended to have, the good news of Jesus had an impact wherever it went on so many more levels than just simply people deciding to follow Jesus or whatever. There were lots of ramifications outside of that. (coughs) And so Paul takes off to Athens and he's waiting for some friends of his to join him. And while he's in Athens, the story is that he walks around the city and he sees all these idols. It says, while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked. Everybody say provoked. Provoked. Agitated. His spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. The New Living Translation says he was deeply troubled. The NIV says he was greatly distressed. He saw all these idols and he was greatly distressed, deeply troubled. He was provoked, frustrated at what he was seeing in the... His spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city was given to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews... And with the Gentile worshippers and in the marketplace daily with those who happen to be there, then eventually he finds himself having an audience with the head philosophizers in the city of Athens, which was a bastion of knowledge and education. He walks through the city and he sees something in the city that aggravates him, frustrates him. Therefore, he does something about it. How many of you have ever heard of a man by the name of Bernard Sadow? Anyone ever heard of Bernard Sadow? No? Well, when you go to bed tonight, I want you to pray and thank God for Mr. Sadow. I want you to thank God for Bernard because all of us benefited from the frustration that he felt at a moment in time when he looked at the world around him. Bernard Sadow is the guy who put wheels on suitcases. Back in 1970, the story goes that he was traveling somewhere with his family and he was at an airport and he was struggling with his bags. Luggage has been around since the ancient Egyptians. 
We put men on the moon before somebody thought of putting wheels on a suitcase. How crazy is that? But we had a man walking on the moon and we were still struggling with our luggage. And one day Bernard was at an airport and he looked at the baggage handlers and he noticed what they did is they threw them on these big pallets and they wheeled them away. Now he worked in the industry and all of a sudden he thought, my goodness, I'm frustrated every time I travel, every time I go somewhere, it's frustrating. People are sweating and getting bad backs and knees and ankles and, and we're dragging. And why don't we just put wheels on these things? So out of his own sense of struggle and frustration, he noticed something in the world around him and he went back to work the next day and he took some casters off a cupboard and attached them to the bottom of a bag and now every suitcase by now pretty much has wheels on it. Thank you, Bernard. We appreciate your work. Let's give it a hand. He's done a wonderful job and saved from many a practice, Bill, I'm sure. He's looked at the world around him and something frustrated him. Instead of just complaining about it, instead of just talking about it, here's a man who did something. And it was motivated by an inner frustration, something that deeply troubled him, something that distressed him, or something that provoked him in his spirit. Notice in the passage there, it says that his spirit was provoked. Now, when you read the Bible, if it's the Holy Spirit, you'll see a capital F. Those of you that are unaware, it'll be written in capital. When it's written with a small s, it's not the Holy Spirit, it's actually his spirit. So you've been made a certain way by God. You've been created a certain way by God. Now, we're not completely the people that we should be because life has battered us and life has beaten us, and we know that. We know that there are things that have happened to us, some many out of our control as we grew up because the devil hates us. We have a spiritual nemesis out there who doesn't like us. And as long as he has any sense of control or reign or influence in our life, he'll do whatever he can to pull us away from being the person that God created us to be. But God created us beautifully. Each one of us are unique. Each one of us are unique. There's no two people in this room exactly the same. And you're created by God a certain way. And certain things frustrate you. Certain things provoke you. They might not provoke the person next to you, but they provoke you on the inside. Sit at home and watch the news. There will be certain news stories that come on and he thinks that I should stop whatever I'm doing and listen to this particular story about this particular thing because it's really provoking something in her. I don't care. I'm looking at the story going, what's the big deal? And she's like, what do you mean what's the big deal? Because there's something inside of her being provoked. Whether it be injustice of some sort. Whether it be the mistreatment of children. Whether it be the misappropriation of religion. Whether it be economic mismanagement. Whether it be the plight of third world. People that have no food, no, no, no clothing. But there'll be stuff that provokes you. Your spirit gets provoked. Now, we could be really religious here and I could say to you, well, that's the Holy Spirit inside of you, and, and maybe it is, but this was not the Holy Spirit inside of Paul when he looked at the environment around him, when he looked at the world around him, he was. The place he found himself and he looked around, it was his spirit. His spirit was provoked. Now, we all know when we read the Bible, he was called to be an apostle or sent one to the Gentiles. So... This frustration on the inside of him was a little bit of an indication, a linkage to what he was called to in life. It was a, a, a sign, a little signpost that pointed him to his purpose and his call in life. And I wonder for many of us sitting in this room whether some of those inner provocations that we feel, 
the things that really get us riled up, if we listen carefully to them, could it be maybe, maybe that's an indication of the purpose of your life. Maybe it's a slight indication of what God's put you here for, a part of your purpose and a part of the plan of God for you. You know, we can get provoked in many ways. Um, you know, how many, how many people get frustrated when they've, you're lined up, yep, see, I don't have to tell you what, and you just hands up. It must be really hard living with your mum. Kids time went like this. Hey? If Matt was here, he'd probably, would he do it too? I don't know. I'll, have to, I'll ring Matt after church today and ask him. Who goes to the grocery store? And it's meant to be an express checkout, isn't it? It's meant to be. With like seven items or more. And a guy pulls up in front of you with a trolley full. And I'm thinking, I don't care whether you failed maths or not. You know there's more than seven things in that. Don't yourself. And in what I thought was going to take two minutes in and out, all of a sudden I'm there while this guy's just one, one, and you're stuck and you get frustrated. You get frustrated on the inside. But most of us are nice, so we don't do anything. We just live life. How many of you have ever been stuck behind a learner driver on a single lane? And you know up ahead, Owen's rolling his eyes at the back there. Now, no offence to learner drivers. Every one of us had to learn to drive at some point, so be gracious to learner drivers. But it happened to me the other night. I'm driving home from Lismore, and I'm behind a learner driver. But I'm not behind him. I'm like behind the 16th car behind him. So I'm about car 17. And I know up ahead, okay, there's a double lane up there, but it's only a short window of opportunity I'm going to have. And so I'm thinking, right here, I'm planning ahead. We're going to hit I'm going to go, and we'll get past him. And I don't know, whoever was in front of me was driving Miss Daisy at the same time. And so what happened was we get there, and all the cars go past, and the two that's coming to an end, and this other car's there. And then the car in front of me pulls up, and the learner driver gets strapped. And guess who's stuck behind the learner driver again? For the rest of the trip down the hill, I'm back behind a learner again. Little things like that can frustrate us. What about you kids? Don't, 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 don't sit there laughing at your parents. How many of you deliberately provoke your siblings? You know, you know what gets their goat up, don't you? You know. You know that if I just keep on doing this, they're going to snap. And mum and dad's going to get mad at them and I'm going to watch with a smile on my face. You're in trouble, you're in trouble. Hey, come on. So you're doing it now up the back. They're provoking each other. We provoke, but we do it to get a negative response quite often. This is not talking about that kind of provocation. That kind of provocation comes and goes. It's surfacing. The provocation that he's talking about here was in his spirit. It's something that you can't kind of escape. Every time you see that news story or you watch current affair or you pick up a book about there's just something inside of you that stirs, that gets provoked about that scenario or that situation. You know, I believe that in a provocation, if we listen to it, it can be a sign, it can be, it can be a hit to the purpose of God for us on earth. You know, while we're down here, we've got many things we do, correct? We raise families. We put fuel in our car, we go grocery shopping, we support the Tigers when they lose. Um, all kinds of things. We look forward to Origin, only to realise at the end, what was that all about? If you're a New South Welshman. Not if you're a Queenslander, of course. There are a lot of things that we do in life. But there's a part of our purpose tied up with the building of the Kingdom of God as well. A part of our purpose 
tied up to something way bigger than ourselves. Way bigger than ourselves. You know, quite often I think when we think about purpose, I don't think we understand purpose, to be brutally honest. If I had a hammer here right now, and I was holding a hammer in my hand, what is the purpose of that hammer? I reckon when that hammer was made, the hammer didn't stand there and go, praise God, I know my purpose, I'm a hammer. No, your purpose is not to be a hammer. Your purpose is to be used for something other than yourself. You just happen to be made a hammer because that's a useful way of using you. So if I'm bringing a, a nail in and I was able to stop and say to that hammer, hey, you living, you living the dream? How are you loving this? Or a saw, you're cutting away the saw. <laughs> and I pick up the saw and go, you are living the dream. Well, you try grating yourself against something all day. It's not the most comfortable thing. But you see, purpose, we, 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 when we think about purpose, we, think it, we have this idea that purpose is about me. When I find my purpose, I know my purpose is to be... My purpose is to be used for something greater than myself. Your purpose is to be used for something greater than and outside of yourself. That's your purpose. That's part of your God-given purpose here on planet Earth. And part of a, a key to finding that is what provokes you on the inside. What's that thing that you can't escape? You can't press it down. It doesn't just sort of come one day, but every time you find yourself faced with that situation, there's just this thing in there. There's just this thing. What's that thing that provokes you? And the next thing, ask you a question. Luke, can you put the question up on the board for me? <laughs> write a question. When you look at the world around you, what provokes you? When you look at the community that we're in right now, what provokes you? When you watch the news, when you listen to... Ray Martin doesn't do a current affair, the other lady does now, but... That lady. When you listen to SBS News, ABC News... When you watch documentaries, when you hear what's going on around the world, what provokes you? What provokes you? What inside of you goes, that's hooking me. I don't even understand why, but there's a hook here somewhere. What provokes you? It's important to listen to that. What is that inner provocation for you? Is it the... Hungry Africa, is it, is it people that, that, that don't have access to food in a world where we should have access to food? Everyone should, no one should be hungry. Is it the mismanagement of children that we read about in other nations and no doubt is going on in our own nation? Anyone ever seen that movie Shotgun Preacher? I'm not necessarily giving you an endorsing recommendation. I'm certainly not endorsing it for the children. I can't remember the man's name, but it's about a guy who, who got saved, came out of a really messy background, started pastoring a church, went over to Africa. While he was over there, he saw, I think, what in Boko Haram, stealing kids, turning them into soldiers. He came back to his church and he just couldn't settle anymore. To cut a long story short, he went back over there to Africa and he's fighting against these people to get these kids out of child slavery, out of child, um, turning them into child soldiers. 
he cops here, there and everywhere from different angles of society about what he does. At the end of the movie, he asks a question because he goes in there, he's quite aggressive. They go aggressively to take the kids. He goes in aggressively and he takes them back. They call him the machine gun preacher because he fights fire with fire. Now, we all have theologies and I don't want to get into the theology of what you think and what I think. But he asks a question at the end of the movie. He says, let me ask you this. Everyone who criticizes it was your child. Would you care how I got him back? Would you care? Something inside of him was provoked about that situation. And he did what he had to, to rectify it. You see, when Paul walked into Athens, you know what really struck Paul, I think? I think what struck Paul was the absence of the one true God. He's a religious society with idols everywhere. But the reality of God was not there. There was an absence of God in the religious scenario, the religious narrative of that story. God himself was absent from religion. So Paul comes on in and he begins to preach the good news. He, he tries to bring God into a space where God was absent. And when I look at the world around me today, there are many, many spaces in our community, in our nation, in our world, there are many spaces where God is absent. And it took the provocation inside of this man to do something about it. Go back to the verse for a second. Can you please look? Now, while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city was given to idols. Watch this. Therefore, therefore, let me tell you something. The world doesn't change or your life won't change because you know what the problem is. You know, we live in one of the most educated generations in the world. Everybody knows that nobody can be hungry on planet Earth right now. You don't have to be a brain surgeon to know that now. Everybody knows. Everybody knows that we have the means to get clean water to everybody on planet Earth. We know that. Everybody knows, everybody knows, everybody knows. Every kid knows they shouldn't take drugs, they shouldn't drink excessively alcohol. People know they shouldn't this, people know that we have, we're in such an overly educated generation. Knowing what the problems are doesn't change anything. And you know what else? Knowing what the answers are doesn't change anything either. Big whoop. Knowing what the answers are to the problems that we know changes nothing. Nothing changed in Athens. Paul walked in there. There was an absence of God. He knew what the problem was. It's with no connection to Jesus. You're working and working and working and slaving away to idols and you don't know the grace of God. He knew what the problem was. He knew what the answer was. The answer is Jesus. But nothing changed because he knew what the problem was and nothing changed because he knew what the answer was. But something changed when he did something about the problem. When he took steps to connect the problem with the solution. When he did something about the problem and the solution and he stood in the gap and he tried to connect the two. That's when something changed in the city. The story goes on and the Bible says that several people came to faith. People got saved. They began to get a, a foothold for the kingdom of God in that city. Nothing changes because we know a problem. Nothing changes because we know an answer. Something changes when we decide we're going to be the catalyst to connect the two together. Amen? We're going to do something. Once upon a time, the church did stuff. We did stuff. You go back and you look at history. How many educational facilities? You know, the earliest sort of educational facilities were, 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 were in monasteries. They used to train people, what we would call the birthplace of universities now. It started with the church, because the church, all people 
said, you know what, you all have, you, every one of you, you all deserve an education. Not just the elite, not just the, the, the spiritual people or the people from wealthy backgrounds. Everybody deserves education. The church saw a space where God was absent and they stepped into that place and they brought God into that space and they educated people. We did something. And the world's benefited from it even to this day. You know, the church used to step into the space of health care. People were sick and, and there was no means to help them. There was no means to get medication. Nobody cared for them. Maybe it was a religious reason. In certain countries, you're sick because it's the will of God, so we won't interfere with your sickness. We'd be interfering with God himself. But the church looked and went, no, everybody has a right to be healthy. Everybody has value. And so the church stepped into that space. We knew what the problem was. We knew the answer was. We stepped in. We did something. We took action to bring those two things together. The church used to do this kind of stuff. And the world changed. And the world benefited from the actions of the church. And it all started because somebody was provoked in their spirit. Somebody of faith looked at a situation. And you know what? I reckon the first person to go, everyone deserves an education, probably had no idea back in the day. In there would be university in every country, every continent. Education would be rampant and wild and everybody would access to it. You'd be able to get online on a computer one day, sit in your own home and access Encyclopedia Britannica. They probably had no idea where it was going to go. But somebody had to at some point take the first step and do something. Just do something to connect the two. What provokes you? What provokes you on the inside? It could be a key. God made you a certain way. And maybe that provocation is, 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 is something that God would want to use to bring about change. You know, I remember when, when I came back. Um, chuck up the other question there, Luke. Another way of looking at this. What do you care enough about to do something about? That's really the bottom line. What do we care enough about to do something about? I think that if we're not careful, we can become people who are great intentions, really high on intention, very low on work. Very high on intention, very low on action. We don't want to get that comfortable in our own faith and that comfortable in our own skin, that comfortable in our own lives, that we silence that voice of inner provocation, that we no longer feel for the very sectors of society that perhaps we were made to feel. We were created that way to feel for that part of society. What provokes you enough to want to go and do something? Intentions never change the society, action did. Intentions never change an individual, actions did. And intentions never change a city, a nation or the world, but actions did. I remember when we came back from India, I'll get um, Christy and music back. We're going to do the song today. I remember when we came back from India, we were living over there in India as, mu- as musicians. Missionary. <laughs> Play on the corners, Jackie would dance. <laughs> Kids would hold cups. Ding, ding. Made a great living, it was good. Got to the point where we weren't making anything, we came up. Tried it here, didn't work. Started the church instead. When we were over in India, I remember when we went over there, I remember 19 years of age getting saved. And I remember watching a video by Keith Green. Anyone ever heard of Keith Green? Fantastic musician. And he had just well, just to see what's happening in the world of missions. And he came back. And when he came back, 
he uh, did it, certainly started going around in his concert promote, saying to church in America, you know, there's a world out there bigger than us. There are needs everywhere in this world. And his challenge was this. Sometimes it's so easy to send money. Why don't you go? God's calling, calling people to go. This is just what he was doing. It was, it was the time, it was a season. He was, a, I believe, he was a very prophetic voice to, to church back in the day. But on this video, I was watching it during my initial training in YWAM. There's a part on the video where he made a call to missions. He said, put your hand up if you've got a call to stay. And there was a stadium of thousands, about five hands went up. He said, right, that means 99.999% of you have that reason, why don't you go? And he challenged him. Now, that, that, something in my heart went off about that at the time, that stage in my life. I was provoked. And I decided then I'm going to be a missionary. And I hadn't been saved long, but I thought I'm going to be a missionary. We went over to India by myself before I got married. We started a YWAM training centre, came back, we got married. We went over there, family, for a while. Johnny, our second son, was born there. We came back to Australia simply to run a training for YWAM. We were going to do one evangelism training school. And then we were going back to India and we would still be there to this day if God didn't interrupt those plans. I remember sitting down. I remember the room. It was the middle of the day and I was sitting in a room by myself with a TV screen. I put an old VHS tape in. And I can't even remember who was preaching. But he made a statement. He said this. And it was almost like somebody and then it went straight back down. Everything was normal and then all of a sudden this one, that one statement was woof. And it was this. D.L. Moody once said, I'd rather put a thousand to work than do the work of a thousand. And in one second, my spirit connected and got provoked. And I began a process of sitting down with Jack, praying, going, you know what, Jackie, I don't think we're meant to go back over there. I feel like we're meant to stay here and we're meant to be involved in the process of inspiring, training up other people to do mission and ministry, wherever they are, whatever shape, the way that is. So I, I kind of feel like we're here because we've been provoked. We've responded to that inner provocation to see people inspired, challenged, to connect with whatever it is that you're about, whatever it is, that fingerprint of God on your life. But not just know it, not just talk about it, you know? Do something about it. Next time you watch the news, next time you pick up an article, start listening to the voice of your spirit. What is it in the world around you that provokes you? You're, you're, you know what you are? You're an answer. You are an answer. Many of us were thought we were a problem. We're that. I want to tell you something today. I want to prophesy over your life and speak something over you today. Everyone in this room, you're an answer. You're an answer to a problem. Knowing the problem is not going to change it. Believing you're an answer won't change it. Taking action to connect the two. That's what will change it. There was a monk, Tecatitis or something his name was. Sounds like something you get an injection for these days. Rome had become a Christian nation, but they continued to have the gladiatorial fights going on, you know, where the gladiators would come together in gladiatorial games and they would sword each other and spear each other and everything. He travelled in from the east, he came into Rome, the games were on, he Colosseum and he saw these guys fighting. He jumped the fence, he was so on the inside of him, he jumped the fence. He ran out to the middle of the gladiatorial games. 
jumped in between two gladiators and started going, what are you doing? No, you can't do this. The crowds watching were so offended in that they stoned him to death. Word of this got back to the emperor at the time. He was a Christian man. The emperor in pity for this holy man who had been stoned to death made the decree there will be no more gladiatorial game. Haven't they? Because one man took action. It cost him his life. But action. He was provoked. He saw in the world around him. What it could be part of the DNA of God inside of you. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? I just want to sing this song again that we finished up with, I Surrender. I want to challenge each of us here today. This is wonderful coming here on Sunday morning. It's, it's fantastic. But there is a world out there, outside the walls of this, that are waiting for answers. They're clutching in the dark. They don't have answers. They think they do. They try this, they try that, they try this, they try that. They think they have answers, but they don't. They're groping around for whatever they can get their hands on. Might hold something for a while and then realise, hang on, that burns. I'll try this. Or hang on, that's sharp. I'll try this. Hang on. I think God is calling the church in the 21st century, particularly in the West, start doing things again. We've got big bands. We've got big buildings. We've got lights. We've got flashy shows. We've got talent. We've got TV shows. We've got magazines. We've got radio. We've got car park attendants. We've got all kinds of things. And none of these things are bad. They're all wonderful and great. And I praise God that the church has stepped into that stuff. I hope down the track one day we step into some of that stuff and bigger. I don't want to just be a little group of people on a hill. We want influence in our community. Because I'm confident that the people in this room will influence people towards the right things. Amen? We want influence. It's right that the church has influence. But it's also right that the church does something with the influence it has. Amen? So I challenge busy in life that you have that voice don't be so happy with everything else that we don't listen to that because we're called to make a difference it's almost a cliche we can make a difference where history changes where world changes you know we hear all the stuff and it's dead set true but none of it happens because we know it, it happens because we do something amen let's uh, let, let's let's just sing this song and finish up this morning you know if, if anything that I've said this morning or you felt like God's spoken to you or challenged you or you just feel the Holy Spirit stirring inside you we'd love to pray with you this morning I want to open up the space the front here while we sing this uh, and we'd just love, love to pray with you I, I, I believe that God has got great things for each person in this room we're not here by accident you're not here by accident okay there's no use by date on you is there Dill? there's no use by date this woman says to people, does amazing things for the Lord and will continue to do till the day she's laid in the coffin. Have no doubt. Leslie, he's one day. There's plenty to be done. There's a world to be changed. Joe, God's got for you in store, mate. Great things. Great things. We want to encourage each other, stir one another up to step into those things. Be people of faith. Be people of courage. Don't be timid. Don't be shy. The Bible says we're the head, not the tail. We're about not the man. Amen. We have the creator of the universe with us inside. That makes us the majority. Puts us on a good side. Amen.
Let's just stand together and sing this song. We'll finish up. If you'd like prayer, we'll just, we'll just open up the front here if you want to come up and we'll get some of the leaders to come and uh, pray with you.